This is Beekeeper Confidential, a show about the curious lives of bees and their beekeepers. I'm your host, Mandy Shaw. Today's guest is a creative powerhouse who has harnessed her talents to build a successful beekeeping business and has established herself as a leader in the industry. I got to spend time with her while she was here in Portland promoting her new book, Queen Spotting. I attended her book reading and signing at Powell's Bookstore, and afterwards, we visited over cocktails and delicious popcorn. It was really great to spend time getting to know the person behind the fame prior to recording this episode, which was planned for the following day. We had originally planned to have the interview at the International Rose Test Garden, but traffic that day was so gnarly, and when I went to pick her up, I saw how close she was staying to an even better interview spot. So I made a quick phone call to a friend to see if we could use his space for the afternoon, and the rest was history. Friends, meet Hillary Kearney of Girl Next Door Honey. Hillary Kearney, welcome to the show. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We are at Green Anchors, which is where Tim Wessels from the Citizen Scientist episode keeps his bees. And he was generous enough to let us use this space very last minute today. And we're tucked into his little bee house. Yeah, it's like a Slovenian style bee house with this lovely hexagonal door and there's three hives in here and their entrances it's like a kind of like a shed and their entrances point out um so there's not really any bees in here with us but the boxes are in here and we've got this lovely buzz in the background and it's beautiful and there's there's little like wildflowers everywhere and it's actually raining right now in july so yeah (laughs) (laughs) thanks portland (laughs) i don't know about you but i can smell the beehives yeah, I love that you smell. Can smell that if sweetness. only everyone could smell this right now. It's like bread and honey and I don't know the propolis just smell. Good. It's so hard to describe the propolis smell. Just uh, just the beehive smell. When I first got into beekeeping, the one standard that was very important to me was that I allowed the bees to build natural calm. But I was also planning to use Langstroth hives, at least in the beginning. And it was hard for me to find local beekeepers that supported that. But you were one of the beekeepers out in the world that was doing it and gave me the confidence to feel like I can do this and it's totally fine. That's cool. I love hearing (laughs) that. It's so weird to have people tell me that kind of stuff. Like, it feels really good because... It seems like such a common sense thing that you would just let the bees make their own natural comb. Like, it's so alien to me that people think this is such a radical idea. Uh, It's so common. Like, when I first started, uh, I was told that I couldn't do foundationless and that top bar hives were garbage and that, like, I needed to 
you know, use foundation and throw away my top bar hives. And I didn't listen to them because I, I didn't believe them. And uh, <laughs> I just kind of like walked out of the beekeeper meeting and went, whatever, I'm going to do my own thing. Mm-hmm. And I started with top bar hives and I did have cross comb and I did have messes. <laughs> and But it was my bar designs were bad. I didn't have... I didn't have good comb guides, so that's oh, that was a good lesson. Yeah. What is your favorite type of comb guide to use in your Langstroth hives? I use a I use paint sticks and I just nail them into the foundation like groove at the top mm-hmm. and I paint them with uh, beeswax if I have time. Yes. <laughs> so that, yeah. that is ideal. Um but some of them, you know, aren't painted because I just don't have time. And they usually yeah. still work. But it, I mean, as far as like my favorite, I would love to see. Please, someone, if you're listening, please make this. I want. <laughs> I would like. Um, I want like what the top bar, what the top bars have. Like I want that big triangle. I have not seen one that I thought was strong enough. Um, I've seen them on on Langstroth Hive uh, frames, but. They're such weak little nubs. Like it's mm-hmm. not a strong enough angle. I want like more of an angle on that guide because um, it needs to hang down like pretty dramatically in order to have a better success rate with like straight comb, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting is that if it's too long, if it's too far down, then the bees will start to build comb on either side of it. And so that's what happens like fairly often with the paint sticks. They hang down a little bit too much. I wish they could be like three quarters of the width that they are. But I'm too lazy to like shave them all down. So I just work with it. <laughs> um, I would hardly label you as lazy. <laughs> okay. I'm, bi- I'm too busy. Um, you are super busy. And I always wonder, do you ever have time for self-care? Because you're no. out taking care of, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of beehives. You have mentees that you're working with. You're doing colony rescues. You're marketing. You're running an online store. Trying to blog. <laughs> yeah. It's been like several months since I've written a blog post. Um, No, not really. And it's one of the things I'm really working on and like trying to change because it's it's just not healthy and I don't want to burn out and I don't want to like stop loving what I do. And I'm like in danger of that at this point because mm-hmm. I am getting burnt out and I am getting like I'm just a little out of control. Like I, it's really weird because um, my husband actually just like said this to me a couple nights ago. We were trying to talk about this and he was like, it's so interesting because you're the kind of person who is really creative and you're not really like a business a classic business person like I'm not the kind of person who likes you know scheming to make money or cramming numbers or creating structure and and systems for business production like that's not my jam I hate doing that (laughs) Um, I hate answering emails like I hate all of the the actual business stuff I do enjoy doing like marketing designing and making things and I like inspiring people and I like communicating with people. So I like all of those parts, but I don't really like all these other parts. And so he was saying how it's like you have this like huge drive to like create things and make things and you can't really stop. And and it's, it's just constant. And he's he was like, I think your brain is like already subconsciously working on whatever your next idea is. And you maybe don't even know. And then just one day it's like, boom, I've got it. <laughs> and which is, you know, right now in my head, I have like six ideas that are like in the lineup of like 
like this is what I want to do next <laughs> but I just don't ha- I only have one life to live yeah. um but it there's also like this monkey on my back of like running the business which gets very like I'm over it you know <laughs> and so yeah. it's like I simultaneously love it and also like struggle really hard but um you know that's that's the duality of whatever everything I guess um and that's being an entrepreneur especially yeah. in such a very specific market yeah I think there's a lot of creative types who have that same struggle of like you get to a certain point in your success where now you really can't ignore these businessy things anymore (laughs) and it's a really hard it's a really hard transition to force yourself to like reconcile these incongruencies in your life and like it just it just gets to the point where things get kind of out of control and that's that's where I've been at for like a while and it's it's a battle to like work my way and and make time I do feel like I'm making progress but I I do things like where I'll say today I'm gonna take the day off but what I actually end up doing is like working on my next idea. Like I'll spend the whole day like watching movies and working on my next like kids game that I'm making. Mm-hmm. And that's not really taking the day off at all. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's so true. I mean, I think I can relate. I have such a hard time just being still. Yeah. I feel like I have to stay in motion. And if I stop, I'm going to lose momentum. Mm-hmm. Your momentum is is so huge. <laughs> yeah, it's weird because when you do stop, you do kind of lose momentum. But what you gain is perspective mm-hmm. and you gain like you gain so much when you stop and slow down for a second and take a break. And that's when you allow yourself to come up with like the really good ideas, you know. But if you don't take that time to slow down, you're just churning so hard you you can't think anymore and so um yeah like I took this trip to Australia and I just got back and here I am already in Portland (laughs) like immediately I was home for two days um and that trip was crazy because it was like originally supposed to be like a honeymoon then it got turned into like a conference tour then it got turned into like a filming thing with flow hive team and I just like turned to my husband and I was like, this is not a honeymoon. <laughs> like we need a real honeymoon. <laughs> I don't know. We got to do another trip where it doesn't get hijacked by bees. Um, but yeah, that's what happened. Is there such a thing? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's really hard because, um, you know, I'm going somewhere and I love documenting things. And it's such a part of my nature now to just like constantly be taking pictures and like sharing what I'm doing with people. And I I love that. It's fun. But then when I do that, then people are like, they know where I am and they know what I'm doing. And they're like, come visit me or I'm near you or like, can we come on my podcast? (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to do this. (laughs) But um, like there's all these hobbyist beekeepers, too, who are not doing awesome podcasts, who um, are great people and would I'd really love to meet them all. But I just can't, you know, so there's this kind of like weird guilt that happens when people invite me to do things. And it's like, I want to go on your boat with you that sounds really cool but like I also need to like relax and and live my life and there's Mm -hmm. something about meeting someone um that knows you and you're in a professional context like you it's hard to really be yourself I guess you know Mm because you're kind of you have your business self and you're like your PR self and then you have your real self yeah and so when you're on vacation and you're just trying to relax and you're constantly meeting with people and being your 
you know, you have to behave, <laughs> I guess. Well, everything here is confidential. <laughs> yeah. So it's all wonderful and, and terrible and challenging and yeah. exciting all at the same time. I think that you've provided so much inspiration to beekeepers who want to do something a little bit more with their hobby. And a, a bee just flew right by your face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's so awesome to hear. And I love it when people say, like, I didn't feel like I could do this and now I feel like I can. And some, there's always somebody who does that for somebody else. Like for me, when I started, people were telling me, you can't do this, you can't do this. And I was just reading as much as I could about bees. I was watching documentaries. I was, I was observing the bees and I was just kind of like, this feels wrong. It feels wrong to give them this foundation. It feels wrong to, you know, put chemicals in the hive. It feels wrong to do all these, these different manipulations. Like, I just don't want to do this. And I didn't have anyone backing me up. And I didn't have anyone saying like, yeah, you you can do that. Um, everyone's telling me no. But then I found Michael Bush's website. And I was like, oh my god it's like reading all of my own thoughts like everything he was saying it was like I was thinking that and then he he just teaches so much and so you always it's there's always someone who's giving you the validation and what's amazing now is that they don't even have to be in your city like mm -hmm. they can be somewhere else and and people always like to say like oh you need a local mentor or like oh like you need to have that hands-on guidance and like don't listen to people on the internet and there's so much misinformation and it's like, yeah, there is, but you just got to follow your gut and your own instinct and, and seek out information that resonates with you and mm -hmm. whatever's working is working. And it doesn't, it's not necessarily going to come from somebody who's local to your area. Um, will you talk about your time at Michael Bush's V camp? Yeah. Um, that was also really enlightening. I'd never been to Nebraska. I never thought I would go to Nebraska. <laughs> especially <laughs> for bees. Especially for bees. <laughs> yeah. I um that was so funny because it was um at the time I had a really wonderful intern who had been with me for about a year. Her name was Sarah. And um we're friends now and she had to move away. But like it was the kind of relationship where like I would have liked to make her my business partner. Like we just work so well together. And even though she had only been beekeeping for a year, she was like good at all the things I was bad at. You know, she was like organized. <laughs> and, and anyway, so it was this kind of like sad time where we were just like enjoying the rest of our beekeeping time together. And somehow I stumbled across um, Michael Bush's bee camp, which I didn't know existed. And I was like, what? And I was like, this is happening like next month. And I was like, I just like brought it up to her. Like, I'm thinking about going. And she was like, let's go. And, um, <laughs> it was just like really fun for the two of us to like, go do this crazy thing together that mm -hmm. it was like kind of the end of her time being, being able to beekeep with me. And, um, yeah, it was super fun. I especially love that, like, when you go, you get to stay in uh, teepees outside of his house. That's so cool. <laughs> and he's big, uh, um, yeah, beautiful, like, teepees set up everywhere. But he's such a brilliant guy, and it's so fun to just hang out and talk bees with him on it. You basically just get to have a conversation on a totally different level. And so what struck me while I was there is, like, yeah, I wouldn't go as like a total beginning beekeeper because you're not going to get the most out of it that you could. I would wait till you have a couple of years of experience under your belt and then go um, so that you can really have these super interesting like 
deeper conversations um, with Michael and all the other people who are there. Because that's also fun, the other beekeepers that are there from all over the place. It's cool because you never know what's going to happen. It's bees. So when I was there, <laughs> you know, I think um, Michael was like pretty bum because like all the bees had swarmed really early and so a lot of the things he had planned to do like we couldn't do because they had swarmed but we did some grafting which I'd never actually done before and we dipped boxes in wax and resin and (laughs) I've read about that and it sounds so cool that was yeah it's really labor intensive it's very time consuming like I didn't know but it took like six hours to heat up all and melt all of the wax and resin. So it was hilarious because I was getting a little bit bored. Like we were working on putting together boxes and Michael had this group of three beekeepers who had been there already for like a week or two and they were really dedicated to helping him finish build all of his unassembled equipment it was like their mission and they were really and I really didn't want to do that because I build equipment at home and that's not what I was there for so I was getting really bored I was like (laughs) wandering around his property taking bee pictures making flower crowns and just like I was like, I don't want to do, I was like not doing a good job of building the equipment either. Like the boxes got split and I was like, I got to stop doing this. Um, So I kind of went up to him and I was like, let's dip boxes. Like, do you do that? These are all unpainted. What are you going to do with them? And he was like, yeah, we can do that. So we like get in his his bee van and we drove to some other property and got like a stove. And then we brought that back. It was like a funny, like a vintage stove. And we set it up in the middle of like a meadow on his property and just like sat around supervising it for like six hours while it melted. (laughs) And as I said, Sarah and I were making like flower crowns and not paying the most attention to it. And so, of course, it it caught on fire, which was great. Um, And like Michael had left a fire extinguisher with us. And I'm from California. So like when something catches on fire, like. It's a big deal. You put it out right away. It's scary. Um, So we used the fire extinguisher on it. And then he came back and he was like, why did you do that? It would have just burned out. And I was like, well, why did you give us a fire extinguisher then? Like, I don't know. (laughs) Um, But yeah, you know, once it all got melted at that point, it was like really dark and late. And like, it was really hilarious because Sarah and I, like, it was my idea to do it. Michael wanted to do it. So we kind of like committed ourselves to like, staying up late and doing this and we're the only three out of the whole group and like everyone tried to come up and like shame Michael for like making us stay up late with him for and doing this labor intensive (laughs) thing wasn't really labor intensive it's just like time consuming like you set the box in the stuff you wait and then you take it out and then you do the next one do you have to dip it more than once I can't remember I think we had to flip it like the whole thing didn't submerge so we had to do Uh one half and then flip it to the other half I'm not I don't know if I'm remembering that right. Oh my gosh. But um I mean if you have a vessel like deep enough then you just submerge it and I don't think you have to do it more than once. You you're supposed to like leave it in for a certain amount of time. But um yeah, it was funny. His wife came out and was like, "You don't have to stay up with him. He's crazy. I can't believe he's making you do this and like you can go to bed." We ended up staying up till like 2 in the morning and then I like fell asleep on a pile of supers and I was like, "I have to go. <laughs> I do have to go to bed. I can't do it anymore. I don't even know how late he stayed up." Trying to do it um but we had like a huge stack of boxes and 
I can see. I mean, it takes six hours to heat it up. Like, you don't want to just only do like 30 boxes. I mean, you want to do as many as you can. So, made made sense, you know. But uh, yeah, it was cool. You know, it was like just really good times, like sitting around in his like dining room table and just like talking about bees and going through his. He has an incredible like library too of all these wow. really cool books. And, um, you know, driving around in the van talking bees. It's just fun. That's it's like so hard to cool. go. It's hard to go wrong, you know. It's just like, it it it's like anything. It's like what you make it too, you know. So yeah. it's also like, you know, I could have gone over there and been judgmental and hey, not all of your hives are foundationless, you know. And that's <laughs> the other thing. It's like he's a beekeeper. He's a human being like anyone else, and he's super busy and he works a full time job. He's not a full time beekeeper. He does. Yes. How? I don't know. Wow. <laughs> What does he do? I think he does something with software. Um, wow. This is like the Michael Bush expose, the real story. <laughs> he travels a lot, too. Like, when I was there, I was like, you should quit and do bees. And he's like, I can't. And I'm like, yes, you can. <laughs> I just had that perception that yeah. he's an author, an educator, beekeeper, public speaker, and that's his deal. No, he and- is like a full-time other non-beekeeping Man. job. That's, I think that's how he's in the forum so much because he's on a computer a lot. Uh-huh. I used to be like that too. Now I'm never on the computer. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I'm on the computer when I'm editing episodes or if I'm making a little short film or something. But I find myself, especially just in the last couple of months, really wanting to pull away from the online discussions about yeah. beekeeping. Yeah. At a certain point, they just repeat themselves, and it's kind of like, what's the point, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not sure any any real, like, progress is coming from it. Yes. And, and it's so easy to be, um, like, dismissive and judgmental and, like, critical on, on the internet. And so it's hard to have a meaningful conversation with someone. Sometimes when I'm criticized, like, I almost want to be like, give me your phone number, like I'm gonna call you so that you remember that I'm a human um, mm-hmm. with feelings and like I'm doing the best I can. Yeah. Um. But then it's also like, don't waste your energy on that. <laughs> You've got a lot. You know, everyone has a lot going on, and it's like, arguably, like, do you need to spend your time like trying to talk to every troll? You know, right. no. No. And I think remembering that the trolls are ultimately coming from a place of insecurity and jealousy and pain. Yeah. That's you just try to feel bad for them. Yeah. Yeah. Although I've yet to have like a mega troll attack. The worst thing about that is when uh, it does make you question yourself because you've been programmed as a woman to like not be sure of yourself and to question yourself constantly already. So like when one person or when t- if it's more than one person especially says something about you um or questions you or criticizes you it's really hard like to stay strong and not um not let not question yourself and not question whether you are doing the right thing or making mm-hmm. the right choice or whether you are an experienced beekeeper or you actually know what you're doing and um it's not even always men like sometimes it's women doing it to other women and that's like the worst um 
people like us have an opportunity to use our voices to lift people up. That's that's the whole point of this show is yeah. to use this platform to really build people up yeah. and be a source of positivity in in a world that's uh can be so negative. Yeah. It's <laughs> it's really hard. I'm struggling with that right now. Like it's I'm getting to the point where I'm I'm getting it more often, it feels like, all of a sudden. I don't know if it's because I've come out with the book this year and that's making people want to, like, take me down a notch or something. But I feel like more than previous years, like, I've gotten a lot more, like, negative comments and criticisms or, like, incidents with people. And I'm the kind of person who doesn't like to take shit. Like, I, that's my natural personality and I've always been like that. And so my... My immediate instinct is to like jump all over them or to be really confrontational. Um, but it does still like even if I look like super put together and, and confident about everything, like it gets to me. It does bother me and it does make me question myself. And like what's really annoying is like the first thing that happens when I try to defend myself is um, like usually the person attacking me will say, well, you don't know everything. And it's so stupid that you think you know everything. And it's like, when did I say that I know everything? <laughs> like, when did I claim that? You know, that's like the first thing. It's like all of these criticisms are often based on like assumptions mm -hmm. that like came out of nowhere that like nobody has said, you know. Um, so that's the other annoying thing is like the basis for the criticisms is like not even like it's not even there. Like it's just made up in their heads as they're like perceived um you know as their insecurities manifest in someone else <laughs> yeah and really at the end of the day when it comes to beekeeping it's between you and your bees yeah i've recently decided that i think it's kind of like raising kids and i don't have kids so like this is a little bit maybe out of bounds for me but it seems like there's so many different ways to raise your kids. There's so many different um, styles of parenting and there's more than one thing that works and yep. everybody's kid is so different and responds to different things and everybody's in a different environment and has different variables happening in their lives. And so there's not one like solution for every parent and it, to say like, this is the only way to do something is just kind of insane. And that happens in beekeeping all the time. And you can't ever know everything like you can't ever know what's going on in someone else's beekeeping practices more than they do mm -hmm. unless you're beekeeping with them so it's kind of like mind your own damn business like <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> you actually don't have all the information about what's happening with my bees and my beekeeping and so when you get on the internet and try to say like I know what's happening in your hives right now usually you don't yeah. like and, and that's one thing that's like come up a lot for me because I want to be really transparent with people and I really I want to show the whole experience of being a beekeeper. But when it comes to talking about the harder issues, when it comes to talking about things going wrong or losing hives or making mistakes or doing like, you know, doing something that I regret doing and then learning from it, if I talk about that, I will get so many messages from people mansplaining and criticizing and suggesting like other things that I could have done it's just like people just jump all over me because they're just waiting for that 
They're that looking chance. for a chink in the armor. <laughs> just like, yeah, it drives me insane because usually what I'm doing is I'm trying to use it as an example. I'm trying to say, this is what happened to me. These are the things that I learned from it. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm not actually asking for advice from anyone. I'm just trying to share like an experience. And it's not that I'm against getting advice from people, but I don't like getting advice from people who have no information about my hives or the situation that I had. Like, if you were there and like you saw what was happening, that's totally different from being on the internet and just going like, I think I know what was happening and I think I know everything and I think you're wrong and you're this is why you're dumb. <laughs> you know? <laughs> that's that drives me nuts. So like I'm at the point where I'm like, I don't know if I even want to post like there's certain things that I would love to post about or like crazy, cool, interesting things that happen. But I know that if I post about them, I'm going to have to deal with all of that crap. So I don't always post about it because, like, I just don't have the mental energy, you know. Um, But it's like, oh, it's too bad because it would have been a lot of, like, some real beekeepers would have loved to learn from that. Yeah. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Yeah. Um, I've posted some not so fun things that have happened with beekeeping and I've had people just say thank you for showing the the bad part of it. Or yeah. Thank you for sharing that you lost a hive or whatever. Or I'm sorry. That's how it should be. Like yeah. that's the response that it should be inciting, not explanations of what you should have done. Or questions. Because we all know, like we take it so personally and beat ourselves up hard if something goes wrong or if we've made a mistake or we've missed something or could have done something different it's and you're right it's just a lot like parenting yeah and like if there's like if you ever come across like something like that where somebody's made a mistake and they're like sharing it or whatever and you want to you want to give advice. And I think that's a natural instinct that beekeepers want to help yeah. and give their advice and give their opinions. They love doing that. And I totally get that. And I I do that too. But I think what's important and what the piece that is always missing is that they don't ask questions. They just say things and without like really getting the full picture of what's going on. So like if I see something going on with someone and they're sharing about it, and I need, I want to say something before I say anything, I just ask a bunch of questions so that I get some kind of basis for like making any comments. And that's what blows my mind is that people, I don't see people doing that. <laughs> I don't see them asking questions. <laughs> and um, I'm at the point where I'm like, I don't know if I need to get off Facebook for my own mental health or whatever, but the Facebook beekeeping groups are like so maddening because yeah. somebody asks a question and then like 45 people will answer the question and a lot of times they're all saying the same thing it's like 12 people already said that why are you why do you need to say it again right and that's that's what I find myself just wanting to pull away from because there's nothing (laughs) new here there's no new information there's no like it's not it's not adding to my experience as a beekeeper and that's the absolute problem with it which is that these these groups become so overrun by like beginners and like young, young into their beekeeping adventures people that like it just becomes like this like whirlpool of confusion. And then like mm-hmm. all the experienced beekeepers like retreat out of that scene because yeah. they're like, 
it's overwhelming and like you don't learn anything and when you try to ask like a higher level beekeeping question and even when you try to like dictate the answers in some way like saying I don't want to hear answers from anyone who doesn't have like you know sometimes I'll see posts they're like if you have less than five hives like don't answer (laughs) like if you've been beekeeping less for four years like don't answer and still people answer they go like well, I don't even have hives yet, but let me tell you, <laughs> it's like, what? No. Yeah. And so it's, it's so interesting. Um, I was just in Australia, as I mentioned, and I met a really cool beekeeper while I was there and she gave a talk. Her name is uh, Vanessa Hu. And uh, if you're on Instagram, she's uh, Mademoiselle B. And is there numbers in there? I can't remember, but <laughs> just Google Mademoiselle, you'll find her. And, um, yeah, she gave this really interesting talk and she, she made me like, she made me question myself a little bit. She made me like second guess the way that I've been talking to other beekeepers. Cause one of the things she was saying in her talk is like, we're so judgmental. Like we're always trying to like, kind of like one up each other and like decide where we are in the hierarchy of like beekeepers. And like, these are the questions that you always ask beekeepers when you meet them. You always ask how many hives do you have? How long have you been doing it for? And it's this kind of like yucky establishment questions that like they're not actually like that great of questions to ask people. She's like, why not ask, how did you get into beekeeping? And I was like, that's really nice. That's a good idea because I've been doing these book signings and I only have like five seconds to talk to people. I'm mostly trying to figure out if they have bees or not so that when I sign their book, like, is it weird that I write? good luck with your bees or like enjoy your beekeeping adventures or you know I don't know what to write because I don't know them usually and so I'm trying to like gauge someone so that I know what to write in their book and I I had been asking how long have you been beekeeping or how many hives do you have or you know I've been asking those questions and I was like it is nicer to say how did you get into beekeeping there's just like a lot less judgment there which is Mm kind of nice But on the other hand, you know, when you're a beginner and you're trying to get information, like you do kind of want to know like how experienced somebody is when you're getting advice. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. it's kind of hard to avoid. That too. Like I'm I'm in my fourth year, but in my four years, I've worked with probably 100 different beehives just because I've tagged along with people. I've worked at the club apiary and my own apiary has grown a lot. So I think that also has a lot to do with it having the experience of working with lots of different colonies right and so that's like that's one thing that's crazy too that happens online people are trying to like assert themselves and um establish like you know trust or what i don't know what they're trying to do but like you can say you've been keeping bees for two years and if you have two hives like that means one thing but if you have a hundred hives that means something totally different and so there's just so many different experiences going on and and the number of hives and the number of years you've been beekeeping isn't always going to communicate like how experienced and how much knowledge you actually have um like i said my intern that i had for just a year she'd only been beekeeping for a year and but she was beekeeping with me every day for a year like that's completely different different than being a first year beekeeper by yourself with two hives you know yep um 
And I also think, you know, doing bee removals gives you this totally other level of knowledge that not everyone has. And, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, and, you know, if you worked in a lab or if you volunteered with, with any kind of science organization, that's going to give you like a totally different level of understanding. So there's so many different experiences you can have with that are, that are like so much more meaningful. Yeah. Than experiences on social media and, <laughs> and like, and, you know, <laughs> yes yeah um well i brought a copy of my book okay <laughs> um and i didn't get it signed last night at powell's because i actually purchased the book directly from your website Thank a while you. ago yeah and i didn't want to whip it out at powell's and not walk out without looking like i was buying it but i brought my book and hillary's gonna sign it for me cool <laughs> Yeah, it's funny because um, I'm going to all these, you know, I'm going to these bookstores and it's so nice to support independent bookstores. But then the reality is like as an author, you just don't really make that much money when your book is sold at a bookstore. So the very best way to buy Queen Spotting is at girlnextdoorhoney.com. You can also pre-order Hillary's newest book, The Little Book of Bees, on her website, as well as educational posters, her children's game called The Story of Bees, hive inspection notebooks, bee suits, and more. If you've been enjoying the show, consider leaving a review and liking and sharing Beekeeper Confidential on social media. This show is 100% listener-supported. And if you want to take our relationship to the next level, consider becoming a patron like Helen Sisko and Jennifer Cruis did this month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Mandy Shaw. I want you to know that I appreciate each and every one of you for taking the time to listen to the stories that we share here. Until next time, may the buzz be with you. Confidential is a Waggle Works production and is written and produced by Mandy Shaw.